0: So bright, pull your hat down, make sure your cinch is tight. Horse is kind of snuffy, cold chill up your spine, go get your ass moving somewhere. Burnin'
2: daylight.
0: Howdy
2: there, I'm not McKinley, and we're burning daylight. Welcome to Burning Daylight, the only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, welcome back, Daylight Burners. As I'm recording it, it's a Sunday night, uh, December 3rd, but this is the friggin' Farm and Ranch Report for December 4th, Monday, December 4th. 2023 uh we'll go ahead i hope you guys had a good weekend and everything treated you well Uh, i was pretty all right over here cooling off but uh can't complain too much on the weather um getting ready for christmas and uh yeah it's uh it's that time of year so anyway we'll just jump right into it we'll start off with a market report this is from national beef wire as of friday pm live cattle closed out uh finished out down to seventy at one sixty nine one twenty five feeder cattle down five twenty five uh down five fifty two uh point five five point five two five uh at uh 214, 425, Hogs down one, uh, one point uh, three seven five at uh, seventy ten. Uh, corns up two at uh, four, uh, four eighty four seventy five. Soybeans up or down sixteen? Ooh, they're down a, quite a way, Sixteen seventy five at thirteen four fifty five. Wheat's up four seventy five at uh six o two seventy five. Cotton's down 64 at 79.42. Uh, the Dow closed up uh, 294.61. NASDAQ up 78.81. Uh, S&P up 26.83. And the uh, note says, finish higher on dovish Fed outlook. So the the Fed looks like maybe they're not going to raise interest rates. Um, the next go-round... Um, I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> inflation's uh, inflation's still way up, regardless of what the administration is trying to spin it as. Um, yeah, shit's still expensive. So, um, and uh, yeah, the interest rates will probably go up again, whether it's this time or not. I don't know, but it's um, like I said, if you look back to the '80s when they had. Uh, and we had to counter the stagflation of the '70s and and the oil crisis and all all that horseshit. You were looking at like fifteen twenty percent interest rates on on a <coughs> on a mortgage. So we're we're a long ways from that, and um, I I wouldn't be surprised to see us hit hit up in that range again. So um, <coughs> keep an eye on that. Um crude oil was down uh one fifty eight at seventy four thirty eight, heating oil was down, natural gas was down, uh choice beef was down one fifty six at two ninety seven forty six select was up seventy-four at two sixty five forty nine with the choice select spread at thirty one ninety seven. Um uh, t- 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 Looked like a winter storm through the weekend um, in the northwest. Uh, we didn't see much. Had had some wind. Had um, kind of almost moisture, but not much. Uh, looked like the southeast got some rain, so ho- hopefully that helped you all out quite a bit. I know that's been the, the worst part of the drought. I'm still working on uh, getting some guys together, and it might have to wait till after the first of the year with uh, Christmas coming up and all that but I would like to have a kind of a round table with some southeastern guys and figure out how they they handle drought down there and what drought looks like for them as opposed to uh, what I picture in my head anyway so because um, it, it's just a different world down there. Uh, <coughs> live cattle trade uh, at uh, 174 to 175. Thus far for Friday, the Texas Panhandle negotiated, negotiated cash trade has been, has been at a standstill. Most recent live FOB purchases were Monday at 175. In Kansas, cash trade has been mostly inactive on light demand. Uh, most recent, recent market was Tuesday with live FOB purchases at 174. In Nebraska, uh, cash trade has been slow on light demand. Most recent market was Thursday with live purchases um, from one seventy four to one seventy five and dress delivered purchases at two seventy five. Western Corn Belt negotiated cash trade has been slow on light demand. Most recent live fall purchases were Thursday from uh, one seventy four to one seventy five and dress deliveries at two seventy five. So not much, um, not much going on there. Cattle on feed. Um, inventory was up two percent uh, placements were up four uh, percent above 2022 uh, placements were at uh, 2.11 million head <laughs> so roughly half the roughly half the inventory in in October was uh because because of placements so a lot of turnover that time of year uh Mm, it seems I guess um, beef exports net sales of 6,300 metric tons for 2023 were down 37% from previous week and 49% from prior four week average huh, I wonder what caused that increases primarily for South Korea decreases um For South Korea, Japan, Canada, China, and Mexico were offset by reductions for Hong Kong. Uh, So, for whatever reason, um, exports were down quite a bit, it seemed like. 37%, that's, uh, that's a lot. I don't know. I don't know enough about the export market to to comment too much on that. Beef production was up 18% from last week. And livestock comments from Dr. Andrew Griffith. Uh, Cattle are worth absolutely nothing. They cannot uh, even be given away. Feedlots may as well give them their pink slip and send them to the packing house to get them off the payroll. I apologize for digressing, but it feels as if finished cattle prices are pointing towards the end of time. Despite finished cattle, prices fall, failing to push higher and even holding, uh, and even hold par leading up to the end of the year. Holidays prices are not terrible. The only reason they seem terrible is because of how much cattle feeders paid for the cattle when they were placed on feed. It's exactly the reason cattle feeders are bidding less on feeder cattle today. Strong profits will come back Around sooner than later the later the key is not uh, losing the farm on those being marketed today. Um so um tough market, for sure. That's uh that's kinda about it. Uh next up from the Western Ag Reporter. Um I saw a couple different sites but I subscribed to Western Ag Reporter, so I'll read from here but uh, Colorado wolf rule provides lethal take options. Uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, finalized a, a ruling that classifies the gray wolf as an experimental population under Section 10J of the Endangered Species Act. According to the USFWS, uh, the 10J ruling will provide uh, management flexibility in support of the state of Colorado's voter-mandated gray wolf reintroduction program. The ruling will go into effect December 8th, 2023, and Wolf Wolf reintroduction is set to begin on December 31st, 2023. Uh, Andy Spann, a cow-calf producer in Gunnison, Colorado, is is thankful for the 10-J ruling and believes it is a very, very important uh, part for reducing conflict with ag producers. It's going to be, uh, speaking on the wolf reintroduction, it's going to be very impactful, not just for our operation, but for everybody's operation. In October, Colorado Parks and Wildlife announced that Oregon Fish Department of Fish and Wildlife will be a source for up to 10 wolves for the Colorado Gray Wolf reintroduction effort. Um, The Colorado Wolf Restoration uh, Final Plan, Plan Final, Uh, outline the ideal release locations, which are constrained by several factors. Releases must be a minimum of 60 miles from Colorado's borders with Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, as well as similar buffer as requested by the tribes of the sovereign lands in southwest Colorado. Uh, Based on these factors, along with ideal habitat for wolves, the two proposed release sites are first along the I-70 corridor between Glenwood Springs and Vail, extends down to the Roaring Fork Valley. The second southern area is along the Highway 50 corridor between Monarch Pass east of Gunnison and Montrose. Huh. The second release scythe would, uh, would put wolves essentially in Span's backyards. Spann described the Gunnison Basin as a big bowl. In the winter, he explained a large number of deer, elk, and other wildlife funnel down and move into the bottom of the basin span expressed his primary concern is having his and other people's calving operations within a quarter mile of where the elk winter which is which are in theory the wolves main source of food Our operation already has somebody out calving uh 24 hours a day we don't really have a problem with predators but that might change um so he goes on to talk a little bit more about that um yeah, it's a big deal. Those those wolves can really wreak havoc, and uh, we've seen that up in Montana and Idaho. And uh, there is a reason the old timers killed them out. You know, it was uh, <laughs> it was a they had a legit reason for it. So the lethal take options. Greg uh, Greg Peterson, a cow producer, East of Gunnison, is also thankful for the 10 J ruling, but stressed it is just is not just as simple as having uh, lethal take options. The lethal take options are, are there. They are a possibility, but you really need to read how those processes will take place. In other words, how they'll be executed to have lethal take and then the potential repercussions if you do that, Peterson cautioned. Peterson explained is not as simple as being exercised uh, being able to exercise lethal take first time you see a wolf going after your livestock. According to the plan, lethal management should not generally be a first line of defense. Even if wolves are seen biting or harassing livestock, the plan suggests non-lethal methods of hazing be used first. Uh, so it's like the the rules of engagement for for um, you know like the later stages of Iraq and Afghanistan, where like they had to be shooting at you while also cursing out your mother, and able in order for you know our troops to be able to return fire or something like that. Um, in order for a producer to have the ability for lethal take of wolves that are harassing or killing livestock they must first receive a permit from uh, parks and wildlife and non-lethal conflict mitigation measures will be considered prior to issuance of any lethal take permit if a wolf is killed by a producer with a permit it it must be reported to CPW within 24 hours and then a preponderance of evidence including dead or injured livestock or working dogs or other physical evidence should be present which would lead a reasonable person to believe that a depredating uh, wolf or wolves are, were involved or that a wolf attack on, a li- attack on livestock or dogs was occurring or imminent. It's not as simple as that you just have the ability to kill them now. Um, yeah, so, it's a step in the right direction, they're, I guess they're at least, uh, they're at least recognizing that there's, there's a legit producer concern there, um, so, uh, like I said, it's better, better than nothing, um. So kind of along the same, this is also from Western Ag Journal, um, but along the same lines, there's a 10-year a study on the, the effect of cattle grazing and the sage grouse uh, conducted by the University of Idaho, um, so we'll, uh, we'll read from this um, from the Western Ag Journal. Or Western Ag Reporter, sorry. Um, in October 2023, res- researchers at the University of Idaho released the preliminary findings from a revolutionary 10-year study, which made some positive connections between moderate livestock grazing and the success of greater sage-grouse nests. This The study, led by Courtney Conway, PhD, is the largest of its kind in terms of length, sample size, and acres studied. It found that Uh, Spring cattle grazing at moderate intensities has no effect on and might actually lead to increases in greater sage-grouse populations. Springtime is generally the most crucial period for sage-grouse survival, the study's overuse explains, because that is when sage-grouse hens nest and raise broods. The research plan was designed to produce scientifically defensible information that could be used to inform grazing management decisions and promote healthy sage populations. Previous stu- studies of this nature have merely been conducted at small plot level. Conway's study, on the other hand, spanned 18 or 19 BLM pastures, which totaled more than 1,000 acres, and was made possible with the co- cooperation of local ranches, including Idaho's J.R. Simplot Company. The study sites were selected uh, that were selected needed to have 15% or more sagebrush cover and an herbaceous understory or the lowest level of plants, mostly native grasses and forbs, at least one sage grouse, lack of 25 males or more, less than 38 centimeters of annual precipitation, and at least 5,700 acres of land largely free of infrastructure development. So they, I mean, it, was, it seems like it was a pretty intensive study. Um, additionally, cooperating land permittees needed to have established spring turnout dates for their cattle. During the first two years of the study, regular grazing practices were maintained in the test pastures for, in order for baseline data to be collected. Then in subsequent years, in the subsequent four years, test grazing regimens were implemented for instance one pasture could have spring grazing on odd years and another would have spring grazing on even years a different pasture would be would have no grazing whatsoever and finally the last test uh, have spring and fall grazing every year um, spring was defined as march through march 1 through june 15 and fall grazing fell between se- september 1st and december 15th Data was con- collected in the form of vegetation measurement, percent biomass at nests or random plots, and invertebrates, invertebrate sampling, among other data points. Additionally, more than 150 female sage-grouses were captured and marked annually. Researchers monitored and documented the movement of hens within the periphery of the study locations and kept tabs on uh, successful versus failed hatchings. We used telemetry to locate... Uh, radio-collared sage-grouse hens every two to three days unless, the, unless logistically feasible. If a hen was not located in the nest, the location would be inspected to determine the fate of the chicks based on the condition or the presence of eggshells. Um, anyway, at the end of the 2022 season, the researchers concluded that it was a very successful field season. In 2022 um the project tracked more nests than any other year despite only conducting field work f- at, at four study sites uh the 2022 annual report shows um bum bum bum. sorry my eyes are drying now i'm gonna spray some drops in here so I can read this Read these stories for you better. I can read, I promise, fellas. Um, And ladies, too. I'm sure there's like three of you out there. Um, While overall nesting success was below average in 22, potentially due to a cool wet spring, a high occurrence of re-nesting helped to increase the number of broods. In the past, with smaller studies, conclusions have been drawn that grazing and grass height has an effect on greater sage-grouse nesting success. However, Conway's larger-scale study does not agree with the interpretation of the results at a plot level. He hypothesizes that sage-grouse in smaller-scale studies may rely on taller grass to better hide from uh, predators, but at a pasture-scale, cows tend to graze in areas with fewer shrubs. Therefore, we may not see a strong link between grazing and sage-grouse nesting success at large scales. Another potential explanation is that some nest predators may be avoiding pastures where cattle are present. Researchers have also hypothesized that nest success near grazing cattle could relate to the greater abundance of a variety of arthropods due to manure. More than 90% of the diet of uh, one- to four-week-old chicks is comprised of arthropods, uh, a University of Idaho release explained. I think this is a significant outcome for the ranching community, which has wondered all along what they would do if scientists learned that spring grazing was bad for grouse, Karen uh, Langebaugh, the co-lead investigator of the study, said in the release. Had we found that spring grazing had a negative effect on grouse grouse populations. It could have resulted in the loss of grazing allotments on federal land, something cattle ranchers, especially smaller operations, need for their businesses to survive. (coughs) And uh, they went on and talked about the participation of ranchers in the study. Um, So... There was um, bup, bup, bum. the breadth of Conway studies would not have achieved been achieved without the participation of ranchers. throughout through the dedication of pastures for the study and a study advisory group, Idaho cattlemen have been integral to helping the study reach its current scope. Wendy Pratt, a member of the Pratt family beef which has been operating in Blackfoot Blackfoot, Idaho since her husband's ancestors homesteaded in 1904. Was part of the advisory committee for Conway's study. Pratt had also been involved at the, in the local sage grouse working group because she and many other longtime producers have seen the plummeting number of the bird numbers of the birds. While the Pratts weren't able to dedicate pastures to the study without a spring grazing system, and because of a sheer lack of birds in their on their range, she said, "Old timers, she." Old-timers say they used to be plentiful. However, she emphasized the importance that the scientists include ranchers at the design phase of the research projects. This inspires research that is useful and can be applied to find solutions real-time. Pratt reiterated the study has yet to be peer-reviewed, and it only studied moderate grazing. It would be incorrect to say that that grazing does not affect sage-grouse. It depends on the type of grazing, timing, and intensity, for example. Nest success and insect abundance are only the first data set to be examined. There is much more to come as scientists wade through mountains of data that has been collected over the 10 years of the study, Pratt stated. uh, What Conway is sure of at this point, point, however, is that the, this unprecedented study is expected to influence policy for the next 50 years in Idaho and throughout the West. So this seems like it's a really, really good, big win for for ranchers on on BLM ground, particularly those in in the sage-grouse um, habitat area. So Oregon, I think there's some here in Nevada, and I'm sure and, and then Idaho as well um, I don't know about about Utah and, and I don't know but either way this it seems I, I hope the peer review goes well and, it, and it, you know it's it seems like it's a good study so I hope I hope it, it gets you know all the all the accolades it deserves and uh, and maybe you can start to see more of a common sense based um, partnership with the BLM and the ranchers, like, I don't know if it ever has existed like that. I know there's, there's isolated accounts of, 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 of really good working relationships, uh, with the BLM and uh, maybe they're not so isolated, but I know there's, uh, there's also a lot of, there's a lot of button heads too. So maybe this will help kind of, kind of foster, uh, a better partnership moving forward. I mean, ideally you'd like to, I, I would like the BLM to n- not exist and and that all to be figured out by private property, but that's not the world we live in, and so this seems like at, le- at least it's a step in the right direction towards a better working relationship with the BLM and, and, uh, and these ranchers. So we'll see. Time will tell um, how the peer review holds up and, and how policy gets made, but it seems if if it is as good as it seems like it it might be a a model of how to, how to go about doing some of these studies in in the future. And, and that's kind of one of the, the big issues that us folks out here in, in flyover country that get ignored is just like, Hey, at least listen to us before you, when you're going to go change all this shit, like listen to the people that it affects and how, how, what, these policies would how, how they would affect them because a lot of the people most of the people if not all of the people setting the policy for this like they don't, they don't actually work in these in these uh in these sectors they're just they're just lawyers and lobbyists so um this seems like hopefully it's a good study like i said uh hopefully it, it comes through and and the other the people that were that review it, uh, come away thinking the same, same thing, and, and it, and it starts the ball moving towards a better relationship with the BLM, um, but time will tell, and we'll see, um, this one I found pretty interesting, um, so this is from the Investing News Network, uh, this was a about a month ago, but Nutrient study finds and quantifies perception gap between farmers and uh, the the gentle public. Um, <coughs> huh. All right. So Nutrient Ltd. today released bridging the agricultural perception divide: a study by Nutrient. The day, the research details and quantifies the perception gaps between farmers and consumers in North America on issue, issues such as uh, sustainability, technology, and land usage. It also indicates there is some common ground and opportunities for bridge building. Farmers and consumers agree, this is a quote from the study, um, Farmers and consumers agree agriculture has the greatest opportunity to influence a stable or a sustainable future, more so than any other industry. This alignment is incredibly promising and provides the foundation for us to build common understanding, said Ken Seitz, president and CEO of Nutrien. The world is asking a lot of our farmers and it is incumbent on all of us to support them in safely and sustainably feeding the future study which was conducted among 604 crop farmers and 3,003 consumers in the U.S. and Canada evaluated 22 statements uncovering four areas where perceptions varied the most. I like how it's just U.S. and Canada, even though they say it's in North America. They just leave out Mexico. They're just like, ah, let's face it, these guys don't give a shit about sustainability. Uh, Well, They're just gonna... we're, We're gonna use them as a you know that that's where we, we kick all the stuff that we don't want to do. Uh, that we're we're not ready to, to to ship over to China yet, but we don't want to do it here necessarily. We'll send that down to Mexico. It seems like a good plan. Um, evaluated twenty two statements, uncovering four key areas where perceptions varied the most. Uh, that being environmental stu- environmental stewardship, industry advancement social responsibility and societal support for farmers. Um, so environmental stewardship, they, they say sustainable care of agricultural land. Industry advancements includes in, uh, innovation and adoption of modern farming techniques to support a growing population and evolving dietary needs. So they're, they're teaching you how to grow them bugs. Uh, social responsibility, meaning fair and transparent food sources and pricing, societal support for farmers, including farming c- income, government support, and assistance with new farming practices. The study, the findings revealed the largest perception gaps between farmers and consumers are around topics related to environmental stewardship and in, in industry advancement. For example, farmers were significantly significantly more likely to agree with the statements related to the responsible use of crop inputs, chemical use and envir- environmental progress, farming careers, and soil co- quality. However, topics related to societal support for farmers reveals much closer agreement. Um, the study also finds that younger consumers have the lowest interest and trust in agriculture. So that's... Uh, that's a big problem. Uh, so they, they're they saying farmers were s- significantly more likely to agree with statements related to their responsible use of crop inputs, chemical use, environmental progress, farming careers, and soil quality, but the consumers were not. And... Um, Huh. So, when farmers were asked about the top issues affecting uh, the agriculture industry today, their responses included the rising cost of growing food, followed by a desire for consumers to have more knowledge about the industry and concerns around misinformation where f- about where food comes from and how it's produced. However, 60% of consumers want to learn more about agriculture, including two thirds of Canadians and more than half of U.S. respondents. Addressing the trust gap in agriculture can not only unify farmers and consumers but also ignite the interest and passion of younger generations who seek uh, purpose-driven roles, said Jeff Tarsi, executive vice president and president of global retail for nutrient. These emerging voices prioritize sustainability, innovation, and global impact, and there's no mission more critical than that of modern agriculture. As we work to rectify misconceptions and forge a shared vision, we recognize that farmers are unwavering in their dedication to the land, blah, 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 blah. All right, so the, they agreed that there needs to be more societal support for farmers. Farmers and consumers agreed on that. Um, they didn't agree so much on the environmental stewardship and the industry advancement and a lot of that comes down to organic, regenerative, and uh, I bet you a lot of it has to do with Roundup and glyphosate uh, from the consumer end of things, which one of these days the farmers will come around to the realization that, they, yes, that shit does indeed cause cancer, and um, they the people that made it knew about it for quite some time, and it's you know, all around just... It's a wonderful uh, weed killer. Not good for uh, human consumption, it turns out. Um, but anyway, that's uh, that's just my understanding of it. Whether that's true or not, uh, I don't know. So don't sue me over it. But I, I generally tend to believe that shit's pretty bad for you. And I think... who is it Monsanto that... I think it's Monsanto that owns it. Um, I'm pretty sure they knew. Take a look into Monsanto's uh, past and... You'll, you'll find all sorts of cool stuff. Um, now, moving on, we've got a rash of bannings of of uh, lab-grown meat, fake meat, uh, vegetarian, vegetarian alternative to meat or meat replacement, whatever, you know, Beyond Burger, all that stuff. So Italy has banned, bans lab-grown meat and tofu steak, in a bid to protect uh, prosciutto and the people who make it. Prosciutto is delicious. So uh, I'm not typically big on government banning stuff at all, but um, if it means more uh, prosciutto, I'm okay with it. Um, Italy's government has moved to ban the production of lab-grown meat. A uh, landmark move to the, the country's right when government says it has taken to protect uh, Italian culture... And its agricultural uh, sector, the country becomes the first in Europe to ban the cultivation of artificial meat, with the bill signed into law Thursday after winning an overwhelming ma- uh, majority in Italy's Senate. Factories found to be producing lab-grown meat faces fines of up to <coughs> 150 euros, 150,000 euros, under the new guidelines, which is about 163,000 dollars. Cauliflower steaks are also off the menu as the country moved to ban the use of meat-related words to market vegetarian products. Words like tofu steak or veg prosciutto reveal an inappropriate phenomenon of using labels traditionally associated with meat to sell products with vegetable protein. The Financial Times reported the bill as reading. We are the first nation to ban it to the chagrin of multinational companies that hope to make monstrous profits, jeopardizing the jobs and health of citizens. Francesco Lola Brigida, the Minister for Food Sovereignty and Agriculture, said in a uh, post on Facebook. Francesco Lola Brigida. Lola Brigida. A uh, bibbidi bobbity, You can't have the fake meat. The real meatball. No, none of the fake shit. Um, so, look at you go, Italy. Look at you go. Uh, Italy's ban to move the products has been praised by uh, Italian agriculture groups, keen to keep the country's 9.3 billion euro meat processing industry. Cordaretti. Um, Italy's biggest farmers association warned that the allowance of lab-cultured meat would herald the rise of multinational companies at the expense of local Italian producers. He's probably not wrong. Um, We are proud to be the first country that, despite being in favor of research, preemptively blocks the sale of lab-produced food. The effects which are currently unknown on the health of consumer citizens, uh, Tori Prandini, uh, president of... uh, Colderetti said in a Facebook post. while there is obvious economic motivation behind Italy protecting its meat industry. It also reflects a bigger culture war being raged by waged by Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney and her right wing brothers of Italy party <coughs> uh, anyway, I guess there's some there's some issues. With uh, the EU, here we go. While Italy can stop companies from producing artificial meat domestically, it faces a tougher time regulating its sale in the country. Italy is part of the European Union, Single Market and Customs Union, ensuring the free movement of goods and services across Europe. So, um, yeah, I don't know how that's going to work out, but uh, Florida thought it was a great idea, and they did the same thing. Or they're looking to. Florida bill, this is from Fox Business, uh, would, would ban lab grown meat to protect cattle and farming industries. A Florida Republican lawmaker has introduced a bill that would criminalize the sale and distribution of lab grown meat as part of an effort to preserve the state's cattle and farming industries. The proposal, known as House Bill 435, aims to make it unlawful for any person to manufacture, sell, hold, or offer for sale or distribute cultivated meat as defined as any meat of food product produced from cultured animal cells in the state of Florida. The bill seeks to establish criminal and licensing penalties as well as provide that such products are subject to an immediately stop sale order. The bill says anyone who violates the ban would be subject to a second-degree misdemeanor, while any establishment that that distributes or sells cultivated meat is subject to disciplinary action, including suspension of the business's license. The legislation would authorize the State Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services to adopt rules to implement the ban. State Representative uh, Tyler Sorois, Tyler, I like Cirrhosis better. I bet he's a boozer. <coughs> Tyler Cirrhosis, who introduced the bill earlier this week, told Politico that he believes lab-grown meat is an affront to nature and creation and is part of the latest initiative in the ESG agenda, that's environmental social governance. Um, GOP presidential candidate and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has taken a bold stance against ESG. Uh, arguing that the globalist ideology threatens economic freedom and other American values. Um, I looked up this dude. Uh, Let me see if I can find him. Tyler Cirosis. Tyler S-I-R-O-I-S. He had a... Yeah, there we go. His, I found his website and proven conservative leadership. He kind of looks like a, a a younger Ted Cruz without the widow's peak. Uh, he's a father, husband, community leader, public and public servant, dedicated to the principles of limited limited government, individual responsibility, and constitutional liberty. So limited that he wants to ban an entire product from being produced in his state. that's how limited he wants his government um yeah he's um he's probably got got a bunch uh where wonder where his district is. Meet Tyler. Let's meet Tyler. He's a father, a husband, a community leader, public servant, dedicated to the principles of living in government, individual responsibility, and constitutional liberty. Sir Roy is how you call his name. Um, Cocoa Beach High School. That's where my sister-in-law and her husband lived there for a little while. Went to Florida State. Party, probably uh, banged a lot of hoes there, there at Florida State. Um, he worked for the Regional Aerospace Workforce Initiative, a partnership between the Florida High Tech Corridor Council and Brevard Workforce. So he's just been some sort of government worker. Just... Uh, Currently, Tyler works to support our law enforcement, prosecutors, and victims of crime as executive director for the Office of State Attorney Phil Archer. So he's a lawyer, and he's worked as a government employee of some point. And I wonder if he thinks his job should exist. Uh... I bet he does, because limited government, you know, limited government. Anyways, I I think and this is this is me, my my personal thoughts on this. I think this banning of meat's a bad idea, or of the the lab grown meat. I th- I think it's a shit product. Um, I I have no I Id- I have no doubt that. Uh, the powers that be will eventually try to use this stuff as much as they can and the the big meat packers will if they can figure out how to how to mass produce it cheaply, they'll be all in favor for it because they won't have to <clears throat> they won't have to worry what was it? Oh, sorry, I was reading a comment there. Anyway, they they won't have to eat it. They they'll they'll use it to um, they'll use it to serve to like prisoners, like in in the prison system or something like that. Uh, Joe says I sound like I'm underwater. I will uh, might have to fix that in post. Let me. uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to take a slight recess, and uh, and we'll come back. All right. I think I'm back. I think hopefully that sounds better. If not, I will have to fix that in post and um, hopefully get this re-uploaded. But anyway, um, I think this is a bad idea because... Like I said, I have no uh, no doubt that if this sh- this shit's um, able, if they're able to produce this stuff cheaply and efficiently, uh, the Packers will love it because then they'll no longer have to deal with the goddamn ranchers that are always in their hair wanting more money for their cattle and shit. You know, they they've got their little system set up with the uh, the dairymen that they can they can just. Crank out those those cross red calves. That's a steady supply, and now they just put a bunch of goo just on on a package and you vacuum seal that. And there is no rancher involved whatsoever, and the packer man is happy because that's that's um you know that's just one less step that he has to take. And um, yeah, it's um uh, it's it's not a not a not a good product, I'm sure. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think banning it's the, that I'm I'm all for for free enterprise. Uh, let them make it, and if people want to buy it, I have at it. It's probably going to taste like shit. Probably not good for you. <clears throat> it's not good for the environment um or at least it's not not any worse or any better for the environment than just raising the damn cow is um and also it's not natural like it's not good for you i i, I don't see any way that it that it could be good for you, but let the market decide that and um i'm fine with the labeling stuff like yeah, don't don't uh don't try to trick people and also like don't don't use it as a as a cheapo deal just to feed it to a bunch of prisoners you know like do that if we don't know what the the shit's gonna do to people like you're no better than the nazis that's what they did so <clears throat> no I, I think uh i think let the market figure it out and um and I think that the stuff should be, should be tested to, to every level possible. Um, but I mean, I guess they already, they already cleared it for, for human consumption. So it's just, it's a matter of time, but, um, also you're, you're going to have a bunch of hipsters are going to be like having these lab meat speakeasies, you know, cause it's, it's illegal in Florida. So they're going to set up like a underground restaurant that only serves lab meat and it'd be like the hot spot in Miami or, or some bullshit like that. Maybe it's not going to happen in in Florida so much. That definitely I could see that happening in in California, but the thing is they're not going to ban lab grown meat in California. Come on. They're not going to do that. They'll ban they'll ban natural meat in California before they ban ban the lab grown shit. Um maybe that's what they need to do in California is ban, uh, ban real meat. And then they'll make it kitschy and cool again. And all the hipsters will will have their little speakeasy so they can go get a steak. and, And maybe that'll like slowly fix California culture over time. Just like the, the sheer injection of protein and, and animal product into their diet. Just like causes a surge in testosterone and all of a sudden they are they're not quite as bitchy. Maybe. Probably not, but I don't, know, it makes about as much sense as banning this stuff. Um and unless it's like been proven to be really dangerous like it's going to kill you, you know, real fast. I I mean I just don't see the I don't see the benefit in in uh and banning it. I think it's a that's a lazy move by the by the the meat the meat eaters, you know? Like now, just make a better argument like hey, my shit's real. It's got one ingredient and that's meat. You know, it's got it's got uh it's got protein and fat and a bunch of amino acids and and minerals and stuff that you can't get anywhere else. And it's not made in the lab. <clears throat> like it's pretty pretty easy sell, really. Um, no need to ban it. I don't think. Um, pff, pff, pff. All right, so moving on, we got the U.S. sluds a trade dispute uh, over Canada's Canada's dairy market. This is from Agricultural Dive. Um, Canada's method of allocating lower tariff rates to dairy importers does not limit access to the market. A dispute panel ruled on Friday, rejecting arguments from the U.S. that the country's majors breached trade commitments. Um.
1: This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate.
2: I'm not really for sure on on how all this tariff stuff goes, but essentially it's a it's a protection type deal that Canada has, and apparently it's it goes against the spirit of the U.S. MCA Act. I don't know. Um, it, it's um, it's all kind of gobbledy gobbledygook to me, but either way. They ruled in favor of, of uh, Canada, and I don't know what happens after that. So um, Canada just says, hey, piss off, guys. Uh, but also on this, uh, another note, um, Nestle and Kraft get a big win against uh, egg producer in a price-fixing case. So Illinois federal jury found Cal, Maine, and other producers liable... For limiting supply between 2004 and 2008, in an effort to drive up costs, a unanimous jury ruled that multiple egg, uh, major egg producers conspired to fix the price of the commodity between 2004 and 2008. The decision last week delivered a major victory to food giants such as Kraft Heinz and Nestle. So it wasn't it wasn't any anybody that um, you know in any anybody that was really wronged it was just a bunch of giant corporations that they got money so it's probably bigger corporations uh beating up on on this these chicken producers which are also giant corporations but uh, and the initial lawsuit filed in the Northern District of Illinois in 2011. Numerous food giants, including Nestle, Kraft, General Mills, and Kellogg, alleged egg producers, Cal Main Foods, and Rose Eker Farms, along with trade groups, the United Egg Producers, and U.S. Egg Marketers, conspired to artificially limit the supply of hens and kill them earlier than normal between 1998 and 2008. The major, mood fit manu- major food manufacturers pu- purchased eggs from the producers allege that this scheme caused prices of the eggs to increase, impacting their bottom line. The jurors declared the scheme took place for four years, ending in 2008. Um, for the first time, the defendants have been held liable for their antitrust violations, said attorney Brandon Fox, who represented the food companies in the case. Cal Foods, the largest egg producer in the U.S., said in a statement that it it took action 20 years ago to improve the welfare of hens and that it did not intend to limit supply and impact, of the price and, and impact the price of eggs. The company claimed it was successful in proving that the time frame of the conspiracy did not run for 10 years like the initial lawsuit claimed. CalMain Foods will vigorously contest plaintiff's presentation of purported damages and will continue to assess the decision and options for appeal. Um, so they, total damages owed by producers to the Victoria's food companies will be decided by Wednesday, November 29th. So I don't know what the, they came up with, but, um, I don't know enough about that, that case to really dive into it too, too much further, but, uh, there was a few other stories that I had, um. Dan, Dan one, horizon organic suspends use of milk from Texas farm at center of a PETA report. Um, I don't know what happened at this, this one, but I'm sure it was one of those PETA hit videos and, um, whether or not they do anything with that or not. Uh, also in the news, there's, uh, this COP28, um, thing that, I, I'm not sure when it, if it's happened or it's going to happen, but they're, like, agriculture's at the the heart of it, and so this piece was, like, uh, it's called devising a just transition for sustainable livestock agriculture, so at least they're they're talking about, like, hey, don't get rid of, you know, li- livestock agriculture, and, and just go straight to bugs, so at least, at least, Give us you know, like a grandfather period, um, but it's it's pretty tough going. They're they're saying farm income is to fall seventeen percent from last year, um, with commodity prices declining and expenses rising. It's from agriculture dive, USDA expects the agriculture sector to see a significant profit declines in twenty twenty three. Farm income is expected to fall roughly 17% in 2023 as lower commodity prices and declining government payments weigh on the agriculture sector. Um, net farm income, a broad measure of prop- profitability, is forecast to hit $151.1 billion. USDA's Economic Research Service said Thursday that's down from a record high of uh, $182.8 billion last year. So, I mean, it's down 17%, but it's coming off of a record high, so uh despite the drop for forecasted net farm income for 2023 is still 15% higher than the average of the last two decades. Um so 15% higher, so you're you're beating inflation, I guess a little bit, but profits from 2021 to 2023 are the highest in the last 50 years, but also the highest inflation that we've had also. Um it's probably going to get get worse. I mean, there's I don't know what happens to the to the family farm like if if they all just get bought up into these big con- conglomerates or what, but it it just it's harder and harder to make a living at it and I don't know where it goes, but um, they're with all this this technology stuff. So there's an article here about how they're using a supercomputer down at the University of Florida and AI to determine how to breed plants specifically for taste and whatnot. So they're 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 trying to like breed the they're trying to like capture the the modern American like food psyche and and. To, determine what flavors are going to be the the most desirable and, and uh and make like this these hybrid you know super delicious plants i guess that i i don't know it, it's 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 all kind of crazy and I, I don't i don't know where where agriculture goes here <laughs> in the in the coming years but it's uh it's a wild one and so there was another article here from western ag reporter um uh, and it and like John Senator John Thune was uh was speaking in uh, in the ag committee hearing uh on the innovation uh, in American agriculture leveraging leveraging technology and artificial intelligence um throughout the hearing um, testimonies from technology manufacturing and agriculture professional professionals were provided to, sim- to demonstrate how precision agriculture can be used to increase yield quality and efficiency of crops and accurately monitor drought uh, and track intake and other data points in livestock. Uh, panelists also provided recommendations for overcoming potential obstacles and producer concerns with technology and artificial intelligence. One of that's been data sharing. We've come to find out over the past several years that your data is worth a lot. Um, and then there was one here, like Del Monte is using regenerative agriculture down in, um, I believe it was, so we got Argentina, or Costa Rica, Costa Rica for pineapples, and, um, and they're doing it in, in, uh, Costa Rica on their own dime, Because it's not subsidized in the U.S., so uh, but apparently it's helping their their yields and also the environment and whatever blah blah blah. It seems like there maybe is something to that regenerative farming stuff. um, If uh, a company like Del Monte's putting their own money into it, so Um, and then this one, they're like I think it was there was a red dye that got, I don't know if it found that it causes cancer or something, if it got banned or whatever, but it's a, a common uh, red food coloring agent that, uh, but they're finding that there's a left, like an after, a byproduct from winemaking that can be used as a, as a food coloring agent in like jello and stuff that otherwise would just got washed away, and it was like, huh, imagine that, they used to use all sorts of, like, beet juice and stuff to, to make paints and dyes and stuff, and, yeah, why not, why not from grapes, and, um, it just, I don't know, anytime you have a byproduct like that, like, try to figure out a way to use it, and, and sometimes it doesn't always work, like, radioactive shit, you can't really, you can't really do much with that, but there's, you know, when, when it's just, this sludge that comes comes after the the winemaking process. Why not give it a shot? Try to find something to do with it. Um, I guess kind of on on some good uh, good string of, of uh, maybe some good will be done with um, with federal money. We'll end it on on these stories. But uh, USDA invests nearly twenty eight million into be- to, to support beginning farmers and ranchers. I don't know what all these programs entitle, and I'm not going to go through all of it. Um, but I think they're they're finally starting to realize up in uh, in DC that the your average rancher farmer they're they're getting older, and the kids most of the kids ain't coming back. So like, there's you're going to have to find some way to to get people to grow your food for you. You know and then also there's there's a new program that offers resources to support mental health across rural america and so this is out of new york mayville new york rural minds is a 501c3 not-for-profit with a mission to serve as the informed voice for mental health in rural america and to provide mental health information and resources today announced the launch of a comprehensive online resource center to Provide a for, uh, actionable mental health information. The material is designed to address the unique challenges faced by rural Americans and offer information that, become, that can be used by anyone at no charge to help address the growing mental health crisis in rural communities. The Rural Mental Health Resilience Program is a partnership with the National Grange, one of America's oldest nonprofit, nonpartisan fraternal organizations. Established in 1867 to advocate for rural America and agriculture, the program is being launched today by National Rural Health Day at two industry events. Blah blah blah. Um, so uh, you can go find all of that at ruralminds.com/resilience or ruralminds.org rather slash resilience. I don't sounds like a. Well, uh Click on their website here, and I don't know. There's uh, they got mental health crisis resources, mental health resources. Rural health includes mental health, rural mental health webinars, rural mental health news. So I don't know, might be something uh, to look into. It's got a suicide hotline hotline on top. Dial 988-988-988. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of people that, um, struggle with that. So if that's you might, may, maybe something to look into, give somebody a holler. Don't, uh, don't take it in your own hands like that. That's never, never a good solution. So anyways, that's all I got for you. Um, hope you all have a good week. Uh, get ready for the holidays and, um, yeah, this has been the friggin' farm and ranch report for Monday, December 4th. 2023 Now move your ass We're burning daylight
0: yeah. Your eyes up in the morning Beneath the stars so bright Pull your hat down Make sure your cinch is tight Horse is kinda snuffy It'll chill up your spine, it'll get your ass moving, sun will burn in daylight.